Hey, I'm Megan Germanson, and I'm new to the In the Know podcast team. I'm in the journalism program and graduating this fall. And I'm Samantha Hendrickson. I cover student government on the campus activities desk for the daily. Welcome back to In the Know. So a few weeks ago, I was sitting in bed, struggling with Canvas, and staring into an abyss of unread emails in my inbox. And I was just overwhelmed. I felt like my needs as a student with dyslexia and ADHD were completely incompatible with the online learning model the University of Minnesota has switched to. For me, the sudden change in my carefully planned routine, the lack of structure that can sometimes come with online classes, and overall anxiety surrounding our current unprecedented circumstances had me missing assignments and in total confusion whenever I logged into Canvas myself. Our own experiences inspired us to report on this. In this episode, we're going to talk about how students with learning disabilities are adjusting with the switch to online learning. First up, I talked with Cole Cooper. He's graduating this fall and majoring in Foundations of Special Ed and wants to go into disability advocacy. I'm autistic. I uh, I also have ADHD. I have no specific label but a uh, writing disability. Even before we switched to the online learning model, Cole said his disabilities presented in many frustrating ways, like writing an essay, for example. And, you know, I will sit there staring at the page for like three hours and, you know, end up like crying out of frustration of just not being able to get anything written down, even though I know everything that I want to say is in my brain. I just can't put it into words, which is really, really frustrating. And how has the switch to online learning been for you? It's been a, a really difficult transition for me. I, I hate change. I, I really, really rely on routine in order to, you know, feel like I know what's going on or feel comfortable or feel like I am able to get anything done at all. So it's been, it's been really rough the past few weeks. And it's not just Cole, Sam, and myself who are struggling to cope with distance learning. 14 students reached out to us while we were reporting to talk about how online learning is difficult with a disability. And across the country, students are facing the same challenge. School districts across the country have had to quickly pivot to online and distance learning. And that's caused a wide range of challenges, particularly for students who don't have internet access at home. But for many of the roughly 7 million students in public schools who are receiving special education services, the transition has been even more complicated. It's meant the loss of in-person speech and physical therapy and critical face-to-face learning that just can't be replicated remotely. I wanted to find out more about why this transition may be more difficult for students with learning disabilities. I spoke with University of Minnesota professor, Dr. Margaret semrud Kleikman over the phone. I asked Dr. Pegg, as she called herself, what the implications are for students with learning disabilities and distance learning. Oh boy, that's a really good question. I think it's harder, you know, because uh, you have to really manage your own time and you have to really set it aside. Um, I think even people that don't have learning disabilities or ADHD have trouble with this. 
Dr. Pegg recommended students take the extra time to schedule regular Zoom meetings with professors to clear up questions or get help with an assignment. And she urged students with learning disabilities to take advantage of the opportunities offered through the university's Disability Resource Center. People fought very hard to get those laws in place so that they would get help. I started out working um, before there was any law to help. There was no classes for learning disabilities. There were no classes for ADHD. Um, but now parents and students and professors and everyone has worked really hard to put these laws in place. And you have a right to this. You have a right to a level playing field to give you that support and to provide you the help. I reached out to multiple disability resource centers across the university system and spoke with Gail Myers. My name is Gail Myers, and I'm the Disability Resource Center Director on the Crookston campus. And Jeff Bayer. And I am Jeff Bayer, um, Disability Resource Coordinator at the uh, Rochester campus. In a lot of ways, Dr. Pegg is right. This transition is proving to be difficult for a lot of students with learning disabilities across the university's campuses. For students with learning disabilities in particular, I think this has been the hardest transition for them because those are the students that are often on campus, they prefer to be on campus because they have uh, some difficulties with writing and reading and um, processing in the class, uh, processing and so being in the classroom helps with that. The DRC staff is working hard to be even more accessible to students during this time, as they have seen the number of students reaching out for help increase since the transition. I, I would say yes, it's increased just because it's a it's an unknown. Um, we're, in a, we're in an unknown situation, so there's a lot of questions going around it. Both Jeff and Gail acknowledged how hard this transition is, but we're also hopeful for what this could mean in the future. According to Jeff, researchers have now proven that inclusive and accessible technologies and tools, like auto-captioning and universal design strategies, benefit all students, not just students with learning disabilities. We're also, this is a time where we can potentially increase um, the accessibility for everyone, not just um, people with disabilities um, for accommodations. So looking at some of those things and saying we can do better, not just for a select group of students, but we can be doing better for all the University of Minnesota students. The technology is, is speeding up its accessibility. I think that's a real important one. I think faculty are um, learning from this as well, and they're figuring out um, not just accessibility-wise, but universally, what can work for all of their students so that it, um, it doesn't... I know at the onset it was a lot of work for faculty to make that switch. I think as they make it, I think they're going to learn that once they make it accessible, uh, that universal design is such a plus because it takes some of the work out of it and it makes it so much easier for students to have the ability to be successful. Overall, Jeff and Gail really emphasize the importance of students reaching out for help when they need it, monitoring their mental health, and also learning which of these new technologies or tools fits their specific needs. The online learning model has been difficult for all students, and many find it difficult to concentrate at home. Cole said he hopes that this changes the way people think about learning disabilities. The way I like to teach people about disability is really looking at the as disability uh, at disability as not something that is caused by like a fault within a person. People have different needs and disability happens when those needs, uh, you know, those different needs are not met by society and accommodated for. So 
disability isn't something that's inherently negative or so something that's inherently broken about something somebody is just a different way of being just like you know people are different genders different races religions whatever disability is just a different way of functioning thank you so much to all the students who reached out to talk about their experiences with learning disabilities and thank you to the experts who helped us understand this issue and here's the rest of the U's news. The University of Minnesota's School of Public Health has launched a COVID-19 podcast to combat misinformation. The podcast, Health in All Matters, which aired its first episode last month, aims to inform the public with accurate information about the virus. The new podcast features expert guests from the university and around the U.S. To listen, go to sph.umn.edu and click on Health in All Matters podcast. This week, The Daily took a deeper look at student personal care assistants and those they care for. PCAs have been deemed essential workers under Governor Tim Wall's stay-at-home order. But with the COVID-19 outbreak, the relationship between those who need care and those who give it has become a little more complicated. This episode was reported by Megan Germanson and Samantha Hendrickson. Produced by me, Natalie Rodemacher. Intro music by J.D. Duggan. Thanks. See you next week. This episode was reported by Megan Germanson and Sam Hendrickson. Produced by me, Natalie Rademacher. Intro music by J.D. Duggan.
provided by the instructor. In this case, because we have no events to worry about, we have no um, on campus to worry about. Um, right now, it's it's access online, uh, equitable access to those courses. And I I, I really think this is really change. The change in this is um, some of the stuff that 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 are that, that's important for just students with disabilities um, in this online environment. Uh, we're also having students that don't have disabilities that are in this online environment too. So there's certain things like uh, Zoom has a closed captioning or uh, auto closed captioning, which isn't it, which isn't an accommodation. It's it, but it creates more accessibility for uh, students that might be English language learners, English as a second language. So. We're also, this is a time where we can potentially increase um, the accessibility for everyone, not just um, people with disabilities um, for accommodations. So looking at some of those things and saying we can do better, not just for a select group of students, but we can be doing better for all the University of Minnesota students. Um, and that's what, that's, that's part of that that's getting me excited is saying we, we can do better for everyone. There's, there's research out there that says if, it, it, for, for, cap, for captioning or this auto captioning is to have that, have that available, it's going to help a lot, lot of different people and using universal design strategies in general and just saying, hey, we can do better. Um, so I, I think that's an exciting part of some of what's going on is things are going to change and I think they're going to change for the better and not just for some students, but for all students. Here's Jeff, you're absolutely right. I, we have to applaud the offices of, of information technology, all of the tech people that have really rallied to support not just students with disabilities, but you're right, Jeff, all students, because we have been meeting with, um, with the OIT people about Kaltura. We've been meeting with the OIT people about Zoom and how we can not just, you know, influence our own campuses, but, but this information is going back to the vendor themselves to change how they deliver these products so that they can be accessible to all students. And it, it, it is an exciting time to watch it happen so quickly. Yeah. Um. I feel like I've heard before that sort of some of the ways, the teaching styles that uh, make it easier or have more accessibility for students with dyslexia, for example, that those sort of teaching styles are actually better for every student, you know, not just students with dyslexia. So I could see that in this situation as well, you know, sort of bringing out these different resources through the technology that actually just helps everyone, including these other students. Well, if it, if it wasn't for the technology that we have currently with talk, uh, talking word processors, screen readers, uh, voice recognition software, I won't be sitting here uh, flat out. I, I graduated high school and I'll, I'll just say it. I graduated high school reading at sixth grade level. I wrote at a third grade level, but things, the technology that I use, I'm a fully capable individual. However, I just, I have dyslexia. I can't read. Um, so that's why very young, I was fortunate enough to have a family that was very much into education and into, into education with people with disabilities. Um, so I was, I was, 
I had access to resources that I wouldn't normally have access to resources. Um, and using those technologies and developing new technologies is, is very important. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I can be so successful is I have that, that technology in my back pocket that helps me. Um, if, we, if this happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I don't know if we would have the same number of students with learning disabilities as we do now. I think some of the third-party software or what's called courseware, and you may be familiar with McGraw-Hill or Cengage's Connect or MindTap, where their textbooks already have a screen reader there. So that book can be read to you. You just have to push the icon and that's available to every student. So they go home with their computer. They're able to do that same work in that same way with that same technology. That, that technology is very transportable from the on-campus to the online um, atmosphere. And that's great for accessibility. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, let's see, I had another question. I was trying very hard to hang on to it in my brain. Um, but let's see if it, if it did hang on. Oh yeah, okay, so um, when we're talking about like, you know, maybe we found things um, through this this time of online transition um, that we might not have otherwise known about or that will work for all students. Can you guys provide some specific examples that you may have already discovered? Like, hey, this works for everybody or hey, this is something that we didn't think about before, but maybe we'll have it all of the time now because it really works for students who have disabilities. I, th I think just you, some of the technology out there and making it more widely available or make it more known that it's out there. Um, mm -hmm. Grammarly is a great example where there's a free version of Grammarly that uh, that is amazing. There's also a paid version, but um, that can really help just as someone who struggles with writing or some, someone who really struggles with the punctuation and grammar of writing. Um, and it's a valuable tool and you can use it for free. And I don't know how many students are actually using it. A lot of conversations I have are, have you heard of Grammarly? Um, and explaining what it is and having, having students try it and then they realize how beneficial it is to their writing, even though they might have thought that they were fine. Um, other software, just when it comes to, it depends on what laptop or what laptop or computer you have, but just the accessibilities when it comes to Apple, Apple products is making sure they're known. A lot of my initial appointments is talking about, hey, these technologies are already out there. They're already available for free. It's going out and trying them out and seeing what fits. So I, I think a lot of that is just continued conversation with students. And I think reaching um, students, non-disabled peers and saying, hey, these, these technologies were developed for people with disabilities. However, um, it, it benefits everyone. A lot, of, a lot of technology comes out of the disability or serving a particular need but it's realized eventually that it goes and it can serve the masses. Um, we have our, our phones now can do dictation and things like that, which that was a disability need. And then it became a mainstream need where everybody potentially can use it um, for the greater good. So because we already have half of our students online, we have online tutoring. Uh, we have online the writing center those those parts of our campus in, in terms of student services were already developed and so that's a great thing i think with this transition but for the drc for example if we have a student who has some learning disabilities for example there are some who 
have some math disabilities where they might be dropping exponents, or dropping numbers. We're able to share a screen over Zoom and uh, help watch their work if they're taking a, a test or they're doing an assignment that they need some particular help on. Some coaching aspects of, uh, that we do in our, in our disability work can still move forward easily with the, with the group technology that we have, as well as the individual types of technology that Jeff answered. The other interesting part of this, and I think this is for students with disabilities in particular, but it benefits everybody, is that students who were already on campus were in study groups. Um, they, maybe it was their roommates, or maybe it was, you know, the, the uh, suites that they were in, people got together. Those have continued online now over Zoom, which I think is magnificent. Not just, you know, if you have ADHD, some, and, I, and that's something that I have too, you get dependent on people to remind you, to help you uh, to, to, you know, not procrastinate about certain things. Um, if, if you've got these study groups, if you've had these relationships that you had already on campus and then you keep them, that's a great boost, I think, to people with disabilities as well but it benefits everybody. And so I was really excited to hear that study groups are continuing after students have left the campus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have all these online tools and these different, you know, technology-based uh, resources, but we're finding that, and from personal experience, you know, obviously the, you know, executive function is sometimes, especially with students with ADHD, something that makes it difficult to sort of even approach those tools. So if either one of you could just kind of speak about that and then maybe if you could kind of speak about what that means or like how, how can this issue, you know, how can they confront this issue? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways. Some students, so when we're talking about executive function, we're talking about skills that are used to prioritize, to make decisions, to organize those executive skills that you think, uh, you, that you think of. So there's a couple of things. When a student goes home, in some situations in a supportive family environment, they can actually get extra help from that team of the family that they went back to. So brothers and sisters are studying around them, parents are working um, at home, everybody's working together. So in some cases I have seen that family support has helped those executive functioning skills. In other cases, I have seen the exact opposite where there's extreme distraction. Um, and we're talking you know, with people with concentration issues, anxiety, ADHD, some of those kinds of things, working from home has been much more difficult because there has been so much distraction there. So finding ways to help those students uh, solve that, those distractions so that they can concentrate, that they can prioritize, that they can break down. So whether it's um, using white noise in your headphones, whether it's, you know, if the weather was cooperating, I'd say go work outside. Um, park your car, buy a McDonald's and do your work from the Wi-Fi there if you need that. Um, you know, what, what do you need to help minimize some of those distractions so that you can do your work? But the other part of, I think, the executive function a support comes from some sort of a coaching model. And in the DRC, you know, I can't really call us a coaching um, entity, but we do coach. That's, that's part of what we do um, as much as we can, as much as we have time for. And so um, helping students online, 
I, for me, because we've always had students online, is really the same. And there are apps on your phone, for example, the Pomodoro technique you may be familiar with, where you time yourself and you, and it, for me, it's like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes for some people, they can go a little longer, 25 minutes, and then you take a break. And then it's five, 10 minutes. And if you do that for four times, then you need a really longer break. And during that break, I tell the students, do your online shopping, look at Facebook, get up and walk around, go get a drink of water, whatever it is. Even more important to do those things at home so that you can refocus, re, you know, prioritize what you need to do. And so there are apps on their phone. One I just discovered the other day called Planty. It's a cute one. It's a spring one. It's a fun one that I can suggest to students to help them structure their time. So yes, being, um, being online, being at home, does uh, can certainly cause some bigger issues, but there are apps there. It's, it is technology out there to help you. And they can come and, and talk to us at the DRC about some of those needs and we can try to help coach them to figure out how to how to make these things better. And that really that uh, the the paleo timer, the, the, the tomato timer, as I always call it, is athletes. Athletes do interval interval training. It's very similar to interval training is you have you have time on, you have time off. Um, and that's one of the strategies I use with my students, too, is teach them that strategy or let them know about that strategy. Not saying it'll work for everybody. Um, but there's also just things of how you set up your own environment where you do your work. Um, I, I only work in a certain location in my house and I have everything I need there, but I don't do anything else besides work in that particular location. And that's just mind and body training that I'm, I'm saying, okay, this is my area to work. It's not my area to eat. It's not my area to sleep. It's my area to do my work. So identifying those things that you need for those, those particular times in your life, and then also using lists and uh, either that be a calendar, a paper calendar, an online calendar, or Google Keep um, are, are some great things that you can use to organize your thoughts and ideas and your tasks um, and trying to organize them to your benefit and saying, okay, I have 15 minutes to do this particular thing. And then I have a five minute break. And then I have 20 minutes that I need to do this particular thing. So prioritizing and looking at things and breaking them down into um, the basic needs of each individual task. Mm -hmm. I'd love to turn the question back to the two of you. Do you have to be more organized at home? I mean, I think that change is big, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, I moved back to Wisconsin off campus. My parents live here. Um, and I love my parents and I have a very supportive environment, but it's very distracting. Like I'm completely out of my routine. Um, so I'm currently working with an ADHD coach that I had back in high school, um, who I adore and she set up a schedule for me, you know, Jeff talking about those blocked times for sure. I used to be way too specific in my scheduling where I used to say, I do this exact thing like here, but like really it's breaking it up into things like, okay, I have academic time or this is a time where I prioritize working at the daily and this is, and this is what I do, you know, for like an hour and a half. Um, my boyfriend suffered a TBI last year, and so as a result has um, some issues with like learning and actually has a lot of ADHD symptoms um, as a result and um, some memory and retention issues. So he suggested last week that I get an Alexa because he has like three of them in his house and they work on wonders for him because he can just say, oh no, she heard me. 
okay, I have a tiny robot woman that lives in my house um, and that can tell me, you know, do this at this time. Or I can say, set a timer. Or I can say, like, um, you know, what's on my to-do list today? Or add this to my calendar. And it's funny because I think it's not that big of a deal to go into my phone and find my app and do it. But, like, somewhere along the way, I get lost completely. Um, and that's not something that a lot of people can relate to. But when I can just say it out loud, you know, almost like speaking into the Dragon software, it's, I mean, I've only had it for like a week, but it's worth wondering. <laughs> and that, that, that's, uh, that information or that timing of timing of different classes and transition and different things has been something that, that we've been using through the K, to, K through 12 system for uh, students on the spectrum is um, mm -hmm. timing their actual transitions. When you're going from elementary school to middle school to high school, you're transitioning classes throughout the day. So, and that can be, ca cause a lot of anxiety with some, someone on, on the spectrum. So using the actual, uh, using the actual iPod touch or their actual iPhone and scheduling out their day of, okay, you have five more minutes in this class and then you have to transition to this location and actually mapping that out uh, is something that I, I did quite a bit when I was in the K through 12 system to just have those transitions a lot easier. So there's many different things out there. It's just what works best. It, once again, back to the shoe, what shoe fits best for that particular individual is, is what's very important. All right, Samantha, you illustrate that point very well that everyone has individual an individual list of struggles and needs at a particular time. And so this is a very customized thing. The support from the DRC is, has to be very customized because every student is different. And so the plan, the help, the support is different for every single student. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find I can't use the phone because it's so small. So I have these massive, massive whiteboards and I just color coordinate and I write these huge, giant things like, you know, meeting at nine, I see it. And then I don't have to be like freaking out, thinking you forgot something, thinking, you know. So yeah, I imagine it's really tough to sort of get everyone's needs because people, sometimes people don't even know what they need to succeed, you know, a lot of times. Actually, it's a very creative job, though. Um, when you hear an individual story and then you can work with that student interactively to, to come up with something that's going to work for them, I find it very creative. What do you, th do you agree, Jeff? I, I find it amazing how many students with dyslexia or students with learning disabilities don't know the technology that's out there that's just on their phone. Um, there's so many times that I've had a student in the last two years I've worked at higher ed that have came to me it came to me and I've given them technology resources and they've said, wow, I wish I would have known about this technology. This has really changed my life. Um, and that's, that's, mind-blowing to me because I've been immersed in this technology my whole entire life to realize that there's there's individuals out there that haven't experienced this technology and could really greatly benefit from some of the technology out there. So sharing that information and changing people's lives is it's a great feeling um, and I just wish everybody would know about some of this information or some of these 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 things that are out there that really will change your life. Mm -hmm. And Megan, you're using the more homegrown, right? You've got the whiteboard and the, and the colored markers, um, which is a great thing. You know, if you can come up with those tools at home that you can use. Um, the, the laptops that we give students have turn into a tablet, have a stylus. They can write their notes. They can turn it into type. All of those things. I mean, 
you can use the homegrown and you can use the technology and make it all work together. Uh, but it does take, take some practice to mm -hmm. get used to and figure it out. Mm -hmm. there's there's low-tech things too uh graph mm -hmm. paper when it comes to when we're talking about executive functioning and making sure that things are dropping in order and you're not missing exponents or different things using that graph paper as lines for for you or someone that has dys dysgraphia um those are things that are going to benefit them but they're little tiny things even pillows on your your pencils that is considered adaptive technology um they're small glasses glasses are adaptive technology there's just there's so many different things that incorporate that adaptive and assistive technology um that people don't realize that's out there or they don't realize how much it could benefit them in in small ways mm -hmm. light shades different things can can benefit people uh different color layovers to help people stay focused on what they need to stay focused on. Um, specialized glasses that have that, that color tint to them. So it's changing the color of the font. Um, so there's a bunch of different things that are low tech options that are available as well. Um, not just the high tech. And that's another good point. The screen, the amount of screen time and the use of the eyes um, on the screen has been another complaint from students that is hard to to get around when you're doing all of your classes online. So using those tints, uh, controlling the brightness and the contrast, um, all of those things help. Looking away when you can, all of those things help. But yeah, well, we're you know we're going to see more chronic migraines. We're going to see some of those kinds of things because of the screen time. Mm -hmm. Even the voice uh, for your 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 screen reader is important to identify a male or a female voice or a gender neutral voice. I respond better to a female voice. If I had a male voice reading to me, I, I would not pay attention. I just, it's just something I learned very on. And um, it, it, for me, it always goes back to who I always listen to it was their mom or dad. And I always listen, I would rather listen to mom than listen to dad. So that's, that's what connects me to it. But I, I try to do that with students too, to say, okay, what voice works best for you? Um, and identifying, okay, is this the voice or is it this voice? And making sure that they know, because that becomes your inner voice in your head uh, when you're, when you're reading, um, that's your, that's your voice you, you have to hear. So even identifying, okay, which pitch of that voice um, and really get down to what is best for your learning style. And maybe an Australian accent might be good for you today. So you never know. I like the British accent. <laughs> um, I'm kind of wondering if, you know, the wider sort of university administrative, if they coordinated with the DRCs at, at your uh, campuses at all when this switch to online was, was happening to sort of see, you know, are you guys going to need anything? Do we need to, you know, do we need to, how can we help this or how can we work together? The, the DRC as a system whole. Um, so the DRC on each individual campus, Crookston, Morris, uh, Duluth, um, Rochester, Twin Cities, we've been actually, we, we usually have meetings every other week uh, as a team just to discuss different things or just problem solve different things. But since the start of the corona, we've actually been meeting weekly um, just to make sure that we're, we're staying connected with all DRCs and we're making sure that we're uh, we're communicating, sharing information. Um, we each have individual specialties, as you can kind of see right now. Um, so we really rely on that group, group collaborative to make sure we're trying to do the best for 
all of our students on all the campuses. I think even on our own campus, for example, we're under student affairs, we're meeting three times a week to make sure that we can, you know, figure out what's needed, where the support can be uh, from other areas if, if needed. So yeah, there's a lot of conversation going on about how we can support each other. And then what were some of your guys's uh, main concerns going into this, if you had any? I guess for me, since we already have so many students online, I, I'm not going to say they were big concerns. I think the biggest concern for me was the students who were on campus going back, do they have the, the internet, do they have the bandwidth at home to support the technologies that the faculty are going to be using? And some of the faculty are piling on, and I don't mean that in a negative way, that can be a very positive thing, different technologies, even to take a test. You know, there's Canvas and there's, you want the lockdown and then you might want Proctorio or you might want Zoom or some are using a combination of all of them, um, depending on, you know, what their concerns are about their test. And so to um, try to help students figure out how they can incorporate all of that from a home setting. And, and I would say probably one of my biggest biggest concerns and big, biggest worries was um, just mental health in general. Um, this is a new time and uh, we really as a community and I really try to approach my campus in a community way is just making sure that we're supporting everybody um, and that those things of I don't have internet or I don't have um, access to my textbooks that we're trying to solve those problems and trying to become aware of those problems fast. Um, so we were we were able to identify Canvas as something that yeah. we know students use um, and we, we were able to identify potential students that didn't have access to internet by looking at ca Canvas logins as a care team um, at my university. I'm part of the care team and identify, okay, are there students out there that might not have access during this time? And if they don't, is there a way we can get them access or find a way to get, get access to them so they can be part of the environment or part of the new environment? So, um, and mental health, just making sure that I'm touching, I'm touching base with all the students that I need to touch base with or I haven't heard from in a while and giving them resources either in the community or on our campus itself to make sure that they're uh, supported during this time. So that mm -hmm. interdepartmental support, so now our counseling can offer tele-counseling, tele-services, so that we can still make those referrals when they're needed uh, the same way we did before. And that that was a change for us. We didn't have that before. Jeff, did you have that before? We didn't have telecom, uh, 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 tele uh, counseling, but we do have, but we do now. So that's the three. Right. Beneficial. right. So that, that change has been a real benefit for students with, with any mental health concerns. And what sort of impacts do you anticipate coming out of this switch for students who utilize DRC? the technology is, is speeding up its accessibility. I think that's a real important one. I think faculty are um, learning from this as well, and they're figuring out, um, not just accessibility-wise, but universally, what can work for all of their students so that it 
um, it doesn't, I know at the onset, it was a lot of work for faculty to make that switch. I think as they make it, I think they're going to learn that once they make it accessible, uh, that universal design is such a plus because it takes some of the work out of it and it makes it so much easier for students to have the ability to be successful in their courses. So it, I it, definitely see that. Go ahead. And I, and I think with universal design as well is part of, part of the part of universal design is the initial steps of start implementing these designs. Um, and that's, that's a lot, that's a huge lift. Um, but once you realize how easy some of these universal design strategies are, they just become part of our normal workflow and makeup. So hopefully faculty are learning that, oh, I, I have to do this to make it more accessible for all, but it's not that hard to do. So they just incorporate that into their workflow. Um, so things should, I, I hope, my hope is that things will be better. Um, we'll, come out, we'll come out on the other side of this um, better than we were before. And that's, that's my hope. And that's, that's what I really want to push for is making sure that everyone has access, not just some. We took a survey in December of our uh, online or of our on campus students in terms of how they felt about the services and their accommodations and how things were working. It was such a positive survey and it really was uplifting for us to know that, that we're, you know, we're supporting in in the areas that there are needs and that the students were were um, happy about that. I'd also like to do the same thing during after at the end of this semester is to see how students felt about this switch, what they struggled with. Want to make sure we understand it well because it can happen again. Um, you know, we may continue with this, whatever it is. Um, the online part of this is here to stay for sure. And it's probably going to grow. And, you know, I think we want to make sure that we hear the student voices um, that, that we're learning in this new way, what, how they felt about it and how they could be better supported. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, what are some of the accommodations that the DRC is no longer able to provide, if there are any? I don't know, maybe they're all addressed through technologies but things that you feel are limited or no longer available to students now with the online transition? Um, I won't say so much it's eliminated, it's just being done differently. And a lot of that would have to do with testing. Um, because we're using proctorial and other things to test, um, DRC proctoring isn't a DRC testing environment is not what it used to be. A lot of the tests I do now are case by case basis of when it comes to maybe individual might need a print copy of the exam. So being able to get that student a print copy of the exam at the time of the exam and making sure that they're, they have everything they need. And then to get that print, print copy back is one of the biggest things that we're dealing, dealing with now. Um, but I also have professors that, that still want some of that proctored environment. So I'm still providing that, but I'm not providing that as much as I used to because with proctorial, you're able to extend their time. They're already in a quiet, a quiet environment by themselves. So um, those things are, are being taken care of through technology. Um, but there are still those case-by-case -case bases with individual students that might need that paper copier, that might need a special, especially designed environment to make sure that they're, they're optimal for testing or, or whatnot. So I don't know if it's going away. It's just done in a different way now. 
And sometimes it's working with each faculty to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, they all have different specifications that they want for their courses. And so if a student needs to take breaks during a test uh, because of their concentration issues, and that was an accommodation they have, you know, how do we do that using Proctorio? Well, if we build in the extra time and the faculty member is, is proctoring the test over um, you know, some of the Zoom, for example, they know that the student needs to take a break. The student gets up, walks away, comes back, sits down. We can still incorporate these. We just have to think about how they're done and we have to talk to faculty about what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've kind of talked about how ho hoping that this sort of push towards inclusiveness and accessibility you know continues for all students including students with learning disability but what other what other sort of uh things do you think or what other ways has this experience sort of impacted the drc and how is that going to be brought into the future or yeah You know, it could be in regards to like working with the faculty more closely or. Well, as I think about it from a faculty perspective, you're thinking future, futuristically, right? Um, you know, once again, the on campus and the online are going to continue as choices. And I think, you know, there are, I mean, we've done hybrid courses in the past on our campus as well, where it's been some of each. I think we're going to have all combinations available to us, which is a great thing. Um, but in terms of the future, I think, I think a couple of things. I think faculty on campus, sometimes a student's disability or a student's struggles might have been more evident because they were there observing as well. And they could refer based on some of those observations. I think they're gonna have to, maybe for faculty, be watchful in a different way. You know, are they looking at Canvas and make sure that students are regularly going into Canvas, making sure that students are um, submitting, looking at the quality of the work to see if they can notice any learning disabilities, some of those kinds of things, rather than that, much more face-to-face -face observable things in the past. So I think the referral process is going to change a little bit for disabilities as students are online. Um, I, you know, because we've been delivering online, I can't really think about other changes that are very dramatic because we're, we've done very well online and I think we will continue to do so and students have appreciated um, the the way that the professors approach that online work. So I think, I think that's just going to continue to get better. I, I think potentially interpersonal skills when it comes to what, what Gail's talking about with um, faculty in understanding that there are different types of learners, that there's, that there's no uh, square peg, square hole situation is that we, we have to incorporate a lot of different learning styles and a lot of different techniques for, for individual students, but also just being able to identify those in establish relationships with your students. Online relationships are, are going to be a little bit more difficult than in-person relationships and, and putting that extra effort into it and having those conversations, developing that relationship and rapport, rapport is very important for our faculty to really focus on, um, to making sure that 
our students are connected because right now we're, we're connected, um, but we're not, we're not connected. We're still, we're still at a distance. We're all kind of isolated in our own individual world, even though we're working online. Um, but to make sure that there are those reach outs, um, situations where there could be one thing said by a student that, that will, that hopefully will trigger something as a, as a trigger warning to say, okay, this student might need a little bit more of assistance when it comes to maybe mental health, maybe when it comes to just academic support. Uh, but being able to identify those as professionals, I think is a skill that our faculty need to have and should continue to grow um, that skill to identify those things that uh, just a couple words can by, by said by a student can can have a huge impact on their life and whether or not um, we identify uh, certain situations with enough time. Um, so making sure those personal skills are or interpersonal skills are there and we're able to use them appropriately at the times we need to. That's so true because then if that relationship is built with a faculty member and if we keep contact as the DRC students are more comfortable advocating for themselves, reaching out. I will tell you my husband is a faculty member here and he's been sharing recipes online with a business ethics class and it's part of that personal relationship. But here's, here's a comfort food recipe while you're at home, while you're, you know, quarantine, um, see if you've got the, the uh, ingredients for this and they will actually make the food and send him the picture back. So that personal relationship and even, even um, us in the DRC, if we can share personally what's going on with each other, schedule meetings, schedule Zoom, Zoom meetings with students when they, um, are you know having having concerns and talking about what we share? I think is really important. Yeah, I think that personal connection is a huge, huge part. You know, especially and you know, I think maybe bringing bringing your class into your home and bringing your teacher into your home it does establish a little bit more of a connection, even though it's virtual. You just have, it's, it's more intimate in that sense of like, you know, you see you're in my home, you know, so I think it brings out a little bit more of an understanding, you know, from teachers to students within that relationship. But yeah, thanks for saying that. Sam, do you have any more questions? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think, thank you guys so much for taking this hour and talking to us about mm -hmm. all this and answering our questions. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we've learned a lot. I know I have. I'm excited to like see what all those new technologies are out there because I have no mm -hmm. idea. Um, so if you need those resources, I'm all, always available by email. So just, <laughs> yeah, if you want to email those over, that'd be great. <laughs> So uh, do, the, do the two of you feel like you are getting what you need? Do you feel like this was unknown territory? What, what do you feel? Hmm. I think the biggest thing for me was just the, the total, uh, you know, big change that happened and just like everything, you know, all the, you know, you know, the routine you were on, throw it down the drain, like everything's different and sort of adapting to that routine, change of routine. It's just huge, you know, mm -hmm. um, that was the biggest thing for me. So it's easier to forget about class straight up when you're not <laughs> yeah. going to school. So, yeah. 
Yeah, for me, I think like with the interest-based nervous system that comes with ADHD, right? It's like I I try to like schedule out my time where I can plan fun things to do and creative things to do on top of academic work. But I think it's so easy when it's just like sitting right next to me. I feel like that's what I want to do, interest-based. But um, I think to speak to what Megan said, yeah, for sure. Like a routine, I think was the hardest thing for me to get into into place. And, but as far as getting what I need, I'm I'm new to like, I had, hadn't used anything in the DRC system until like a couple of months ago before all of this started. Um, so I'm new to how the DRC how the DRC works and using those accommodations, but already like talking to you guys, I'm excited about like possible resources that are there for me. I reach out. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Audio books deserve, I don't know, like the gold medal. There's so a much chance. credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, is there anything else that you, either of you two want to say, is there something you feel like we missed or just any last sort of, things that you, you two feel like you want to say or let people know? I, I think it's just important that as a community, we make sure that we keep an eye on everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't heard from somebody, students, staff, faculty, reach out, have a conversation, say, just, just a check-in. Um, because we need to, especially with mental health right now, we need to make sure that we're... Um, we're making sure everybody is is safe and um, comfortable, and making sure that that we all are, are we're in this together, and that we we make sure that we rely on each other. So I think just reaching out if you haven't heard from one of your friends, just text them, email them, say hi. Um, I think that's very important during this time. Right, even among students with each other, that support that you have of each other, reach out to each other and and see what you can do. I know, I believe Jeff, you are too. Most of us uh, that are uh, directing DRCs on the campuses are member of a care team on each of our campuses. They're each called something different, but it's basically a care team where we um, refer students who need different kinds of things. And I think uh, right now we're still meeting as a care team, trying to help students with referrals. Maybe in their community, they don't have food. Maybe their parents are out of work. And, and so now they're feeling the pressure to try to find work as well. And, and, or they don't have internet and they need a hotspot or they need to figure something out, whatever it is, um, to, to reach out because we can be point people to, to refer students where they can get the help that they need for all aspects of their life, not just their disability. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you guys so much. This thank has been a really great conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to listen to the two of you. And I don't know, the two of you could do a little follow-up because um, kind of share how this worked out for you in the end, I think would be a good a good ending to this. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And we're, um, we're excited to to be able to feel like we're telling our stories through like the stories that we're that we're also writing about and talking about, and be able to to take the struggles that we've had and just um, offer as much information as we can to people who, who feel similar um, and who might learn from it, and hopefully learn things that they hadn't about how to get through this. So we're excited, and I hope we communicated our enthusiasm for this work. Oh, right, sure. Jeff, we are both so passionate about what we're doing and the potential that students have to do what they need to do is, is terrific. So 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank stay, you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll be Bye, in touch if you have any questions. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.